if you have your Bibles tonight, and I trust that you do, uh, I'd like you to go to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, last week on Sunday night, we sort of began a little series out of the book of Colossians, and this is another in that list. And you say, well, Brother Ed, you got us going to 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, that'll, that'll be clear here in just a minute. But in Colossians, one of the things that the Apostle Paul prayed for, if you recall from last week, and I know you've slept since then, but, uh, but I'm going to remind you what this said. He said, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. One of the things that Paul prayed for, for the church at Colossae, was that they might know what to do and why are they doing it. You know, a lot of times we just do things because it's what the last person told us to do without really having that spiritual understanding. And there's a general will, and that's what we talked about last week. God's not willing that any man or woman should perish, right, but that all should come to repentance, it's, this, it's his desire that every person would come to know him as their Lord and Savior. And yet we know that there are specific wills for each of us in our lives. And one of those, that's what we want to look at tonight. So I've asked you to go to, to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. And I want to speak to you tonight about what are we supposed to do while we wait? What are we supposed to do while we wait? So look here with me. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and look with me in verse 1. Notice Paul said, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. All right, and so let's pray one more time. Father, would you bless the preaching of your word tonight? Help your servant, Lord. I just can't do this without you, dear God. And I pray you'll help me with my thoughts to say oh, that which only needs to be said, Heavenly Father, and leave off everything that should be left off. And so, Father, I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit tonight. Help me, Holy Ghost, I pray. Use me, Lord, of your power to communicate your truth to your people. And I pray, Father, that they may be edified and you glorified as a result. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Now, I want you to notice something about the book of 1 Thessalonians. Go with me to chapter 1 and look with me at the last verse. And I want you to notice that in each of the five chapters of 1 Thessalonians, Paul makes a reference to the second coming of the Lord. And uh, notice how he puts this. Uh, look in verse 9. It says, chapter 1, verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now watch. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And then look at the end of chapter 2. Notice what it says. Verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for ye are our glory and joy. And then look at the end of chapter 3. Notice what he says. Uh, look in verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, 
and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Now here it is again. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I mean, the, Paul has got the second coming, if you will, on his mind here as he's writing this book. Then look in chapter 4. Familiar verses to each of us. If you've been in church any length of time, this is sort of a reference to the rapture. Notice what it says, verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And then look in chapter 5. Notice what he says. Look in verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, man, it's very clear the, the short time that he spent with this church in Thessalonica, we know it was only about three weeks, maybe a little bit more, and not much more than that, but he had a great impact on them, and he was trying to assure them that the Lord was coming back for them. Amen. And I think it's the next big event on the Lord's calendar. I don't know, but I think, I do believe that we're in the last of the last of the last days. Amen. And even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Amen. Amen. And, uh, but in the meantime, what are we supposed to do? I, I remember telling you all a few weeks back, I remember in 1988, I was pastoring in South Louisiana, and uh, there was a couple of men that came by, and they were trying to encourage the rest of us. They had read a book about 88 reasons why Jesus was coming in 1988. But, you know, but that man wrote another book, and it was 89 reasons why he was coming in 89. And those guys, man, they quit their jobs. They did a lot of things. And, uh, and they were just trying to encourage everybody, man, the Lord's coming back. He's coming this year in 1988. You know, and none of that happened. And I'll just remind you, no man knows the day or the hour. Amen. But our Father, which is in heaven. And, uh, and so those guys, they quit their jobs. They just sort of just begin to sit on the sidelines, so to speak. And beloved, that's not what God wants us to do as believers. So what are we supposed to do while we're waiting? Well, he tells us about this. And as this lines up with what I was what I started last week about that God wants us, that Paul was writing, that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That is, knowing what is the will of God and why are we supposed to do it? Why are we doing what we're doing? All right? And so here it is. He gives it to us. Notice what he says. Hey, look in chapter 4, verse 1. How you received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God, so that ye would abound more and more. So the Lord wants us to increase in these things. And what was true back then, as he revealed to them, it's true for us also today while we're waiting for the Lord to return. So what's the very first thing? Well, the first thing is we find this here in verse 11 where it says, for God, have, verse 7, I'm sorry, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Beloved, you and I, we are to walk in holiness as believers. We are to walk in holiness. Notice what he says. Look in verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. 
This is one of those things, you know, what are we supposed to be filled with? We're supposed to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And it's his general will that every man, woman, boy, and girl be saved, trusting Christ as their Savior. And after salvation comes sanctification. And while we're waiting for the Lord to return, we are to be abounding in this thing that our sanctification being set apart more and more for God's glory and God's use in this world. I mean, it's part of the reason why he, I mean, why didn't he just take us home on the day that, he, that we got saved? No, God left us here with a purpose. Amen. And we need to fulfill that purpose. And one of those things is that you and I would be sanctified. And what that simply means is to be set apart. I mean, we call this sometimes, some places they call it an auditorium. Some people call it a sanctuary. Why? It's set apart. We don't have parties in here. We're not going to play records and uh, uh, do certain things in here. And it's not, it's not because, uh, I mean, we... we I wouldn't, but I mean, I suppose we could. I don't find anything in the Bible, but I wouldn't want to take something that was spiritual and use it for something that's secular. We have a fellowship hall to eat in, amen? And uh, we have places for that. And so, but so this is the sanctuary. It's been set apart. It's a place where we come and sing the songs of Zion, where we praise the Lord, raise our hands and our voices, and hear the word of God preached. It's a place where we've come to meet with him. And we desire that. And he desires that for us, remember? He desires those who will worship him in spirit but also in truth. And so if you're going to do it, it's not a pep rally, amen? It's a place for preaching where the word of God might be received, mixed with faith, where it would be profitable unto us. And so this sanctification that we have, it really is in, it's really kind of two parts to it. One is we have a positional sanctification. Our sanctification is positional. According to the book of Ephesians, when we got saved, now that we're in Christ and Christ is in heaven, we're already seated in heavenly places in him. So positionally, you know, we talked a little bit about that Wednesday night. We've been adopted. We've been acquitted. Now we're abounding in things. I mean, God's blessed us. We're a blessed people. Those spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places. So positionally, my, my position as a son is never going to change. Amen. You know, when, when God saves a man, and I said this this morning, and I'll repeat it, it bears repeating, when God saves a man, he saves him forever. Amen. It's not in today and out tomorrow. No, no. You wouldn't do that with one of your children. God's not going to do that with one of his. And, uh, you know, that would have been a lie. You know, that group that came to the Lord there in Matthew 7, and uh, they said, Lord, didn't we do this, and didn't we do that, and didn't we do this? And he said, what? Depart from me, for I never knew you. For the Lord to know you and then to not know you and then say that I never knew you, that would have been a lie. And the Savior is not a liar. Amen? Amen. He's that immutable God. He cannot lie. And so our sanctification here is settled positionally. But the flip side of that is, while we're down here, we need to live a life that reflects that position practically and so the life that i'm now living the life that you're now living is to be a reflection of that seated in heavenly places though we're right down here in the nasty now and now amen we didn't sing about the sweet by and by but you know we are headed there one day but right now we're in the nasty now and now and the life that we're living we need to live in such a way that it reflects the high and holy calling and position that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so notice what it says. Notice what it says right here. 
Verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And he's going to pause right here, that ye should abstain from fornication. Beloved, one of the things that should mark our lives is the mark of purity. Purity. You know, that's something that is under attack all the time. I mean, uh, they can't sell something on TV without, without turning it into something sensual or sexual. That, that's how they've got to do it. They can't put a billboard out there. Everything is attracted based upon that. Now they want to teach this stuff to little kids in school, little elementary age. I mean, it's ridiculous. I read in the paper here. I read in the local paper. Somebody gave their opinion and said, man, it's no big deal if a child glances at something pornographic. And I thought, man, you put your name on there. I mean, what kind of person are you? I mean, that's like, that's like telling, it's okay to go out here and have your first sip of liquor. You don't know who might have that propensity in their heart to be an alcoholic or to be a drunkard. Why, why give them the first sip? Why encourage that? They said it doesn't do them any harm. How do you know that? I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I just really couldn't believe it. I mean, he, he I, I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to say that, Lord. But it made me angry. Almost to the place I thought about, man, I want to write to the paper here. I want to get, I just want to write to those little paper right here, the Daily Times, and I'd like to answer that guy. I don't know if they'd let me do that or not. I don't know, and I, 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 I hadn't prayed about it. It was just a knee-jerk reaction because it made me angry. Listen, there's enough pressure. I wouldn't, you know, we had pressure on us as teenagers growing up, but I wouldn't want to be a teenager today. I wouldn't, man. There's there's too much information, too much access. We didn't have any of those things. And there was already pressure enough in our lives, if you recall. And there was. So why add to it? Why add to it? And so purity, beloved, for the believer is something that you and I need to be very, very familiar with and very careful about. The book of Proverbs warns us about that. Listen, if you don't, you and I don't want to fall down, then stay away from slippery places. Amen. I mean, we're no match for sin. I'm no match for those things. And neither are you. And you say, well, Brother Ed, I'm, I'm an older person. I don't care. You, you know, you might be old, but you're not dead. Amen. Amen. Temptation doesn't care how old you are. It doesn't care how much money you got in the bank. It doesn't care how much victory you had yesterday. It would like to have you today. And it's not just true about men. It's also true about women these days. And so, and so this purity, it, 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 you know, you, you and I, we need, to, we need to be striving for that. And, and make sure that we sort of, just like how you lock the doors at night, I suspect. We go around here, we make sure everything is kind of locked up. I know y'all live in San Antonio. I know y'all lock things up. Amen. Yeah, we, we just came here a few months ago, about three months ago from the Houston area. We lock things up over there. Amen. We did. And, uh, and so uh, sometimes I hate to say it, even during church, they want to cut the catalytic converter off of the church van, you know. And, uh, and so anyway, but my, my point is, is that we lock up and we make sure that things are secure. And brethren, sometimes you got to do that. Whether you've got a cell phone or you've got a computer or, or, you know, or even nowadays, even over the, just a, just a regular telephone. Now, none of those things in and of themselves are evil, but it's what we do with it. 
Amen. A long time before there was ever a computer, the phones were burning up. Remember the days of the party lines? Man, people would pick up and listen. They would listen to your phone conversation. One ring was you, two rings was somebody else in the party. But man, they picked it up. What's going on over at their house? Uh, you know, uh, just too much of that. But anyway, beloved, we need to be careful about that purity. Notice what it says that we abstain from fornication. Now listen, that word fornication is where you get the word pornography. It's pornea where the word pornography comes from. And that word fornication is an umbrella word that covers any illicit sexual sin that's out there. And, uh, and we are to abstain from that. We're to do our best to, uh, to, to not be a part of that. Notice what he says, verse, look in verse four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now watch, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Listen, that's what they live for. You know, there's a reason why the, the Bible refers to us as Gentile dogs. What, is a, what does a dog do? He, eat, he eats, he sleeps, and he fornicates. That's what a dog does. And that's people. That's people. And brethren, we've been called to something higher, haven't we? Amen. We have. And so we need to be on guard, and not only for ourselves, but also for our children, our grandchildren, and, uh, and to be watchful about those things. So, so our sanctification includes a purity, and this is what John wrote. And he said, and every man that hath this hope, the hope of what? The hope of the Lord's return. It says, he purifieth himself even as he is pure. And in the light of these passages, all about waiting for the Lord to return, we, in other words, I want, to be, I, I want to be in the will of God when the Lord Jesus comes. Amen. Don't you? I don't want to be doing something that I would be ashamed of. I don't want my garment spotted, amen, on the way out. I don't want that. I want to be right with God when he comes. So we need to know how to do this. We, we need to, we need to just, just call it what it is and deal with it. And, you know, and listen, if you need to, change the channel. If you need to, shut it off. Read a book. You know, watch something else. Hey, you know, amen. I'll, I'll, amen, brother. Ed. I'll say it for you, all right? It's true. Have enough courage to do that. You know, we were. I was changing the sign out here. Debbie and I were changing the sign. And a guy walked by. And I guess he was talking to somebody. It was, there was somebody else with him, wasn't he? Uh -oh, was a, oh, that's right. It was a delivery man bringing something over here. And man, he just started off with a, with a tirade of language. And, I, you know, I just stopped putting the letters up. And I said, hey, I said, do you see my wife standing right here? Oh, I, I, I apologize. I'm sorry. And I said, well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But, you know, but it's a little late. I didn't say that to him, but it's a little late, you know. And, uh, but that's the world in which we live. And brethren, we need to do our best not to be a part of that. Don't let that, don't let that encroach in our lives a little bit. You know, because here's the thing. The devil, he's just never satisfied with a little bit. He wants a little bit and then a little bit more. A little bit and a little bit more. And, uh, and so brethren, we've got to be careful about that. Be mindful. Also notice what it says. Look at verse 4. That every one of us should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. What this talks about is then having that self-control in our lives. And this is where our relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important. You know, according to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, if we'll walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the answer to the flesh is the Holy Ghost of God. Walking with Him. Well, how do we do that? 
Is it a touchy-feely thing? No. To be led of the Spirit is to be led of this Word. To walk according to the Word of God. These are who the sons of God are. Those that are led of the Spirit. And how's the Spirit going to lead us? He's going to lead us according to this Word. And the Scriptures cannot be broken. He's not going to lead you to something that's outside of the biblical context. He's not going to do that. And so, and so you and I, we need, to, we, need, we need to have this, if you will, this matter of self-control and the mortification of our members. That's what Colossians teaches. And then we're also in our sanctification. We're to be making some progress. How? Notice what it says. Look what he says up here in verse 9. It says, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, and we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. One of the things that's going to set us apart from the rest of the world, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. By John 13, by what? By your love one for another. One of the things while we're supposed to be doing, while we're waiting, is, is loving the brethren more and more. I, you know, you can't say that you love God, but you hate your brother. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's a lie. You're, you're living in a fantasy world, if that be the case. But our love for one another, and love is not a feeling, it's an action word. It is an action word. I mean, remember, for God so loved the world that he did what? He, he, he gave. He gave. And what we do, the action word that we have, hey, if one of our brethren's in trouble, then we're moved to help them. And, uh, and that we love the brethren, and we love to be around them. We love to fellowship with them. You know, I, I, I have a hard time with, with somebody, you know, I, 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 I've been saved, but I just don't like people. That's a contradiction, isn't it? Uh, you know, when I was on the ambulance I, I, in Montgomery County, where we had come from, I was the chaplain for the 911 EMS provider. I'm a paramedic, or I will be up until April of 23, Lord willing. And, uh, and, and you know, and I met a lot of medics that said, man, oh, I, I love what I do, but I hate people. And I thought, well, then why in the world are you doing this? You know, they, they loved animals, but they didn't like people. And I said, man, anything on two legs is a whole lot more valuable than anything on four. Amen. 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 Jesus didn't die for my dog. Amen. He died for the church, Amen. which are people. And one of the things that's supposed to increase in our lives is our love one for another. So that way, you know, that we're not supposed to be wallflowers. You, you know what that is, right? Do you remember some of those things when we were in, when we were in junior high? You know, all the boys, they like to play ball, baseball, football, whatever it was. But when they had a sock hop or we had to do something, all the boys would be along the wall. When I was in school, in elementary school, we had to square dance. I don't know if any of you all had to do that or not. I learned the Virginia reel and all that stuff. And I haven't, thank God, I haven't had to do any of that since I've been an adult, all right? But I can remember, man, I didn't want, I didn't want to hold Kathy Arf's hand. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to promenade to the right. Man, we were, we were all standoffish like that. You know, but since we got saved, you know what? God has tried to bring us out of that world into the body of Christ and into the church where we can fellowship one with another. And that our love for our brother 
and our sister, it increases and it's the right kind. It means to be devoted to, to be kindly affectioned. There's nothing sensual about that kind of love. That's not what the Lord is talking about. It's a spiritual kind. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we're to greet one another with a holy kiss. Amen. I'm not exactly sure what that is. I'll just be satisfied with a hug every now and then. Amen. But, uh, but my point is, is that our love for one another, it ought to be more than lip service. Doesn't the Bible say that we're to love in deed and not just in word? You know, somebody, uh, it, it's easy to give away what you don't have. Boy, you know, if I had a, if I had a thousand dollars, I'd do this for you. You know, and, uh, and if I if I had if I had there were supposedly there I've heard this there were two guys that were walking and you know they were they were uh, pretty poor and one of them said you know man I I just think so much of you you're my friend and if I had a thousand dollars I'd I'd give you half I'd give you five hundred dollars and man he wasn't going to be outdone and he said well you know if I had five hundred dollars I I care so much for you I'd give you half of that two hundred and fifty I would give that to you and then and then this other guy said well man you know if I had two hogs I I would give you one of my hogs and boy that guy got upset and he said man. And you know I got two hogs. <laughs> We're good at giving away what we don't have. But what we do have, sometimes we want to hold on to. But our love is supposed to increase. While we're waiting here, our love for the brethren should increase. Amen. It should. It should. And, uh, and so we're to make progress in that area, all right? But notice the second thing in this walk of holiness. Look at it with me. Look in verse 11. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Brother Ed, how in the world is that? Pastor, how in the world is that walking in holiness? Learning to keep your mouth shut at the right time, that is a matter of holiness, amen? Knowing when to speak and when to be silent, that is a matter of holiness. And sometimes, just like when I, what I wanted to say about, about that letter in the he just said, nope, don't go any further. Don't, hey, and that's what you got to do sometimes. And don't you have to sometimes bite your lip, zip this thing shut? You know, the Lord gave us 10 bars and two doors, right? The 10 bars are your teeth, brother. The two doors are your lips over that tongue. It's the littlest member that can get you in the biggest trouble, particularly at the house of God. You and I, beloved, we don't have to rule on everybody else's life. I don't have to say everything out loud that I'm thinking or feeling. Some of those things are just better left unsaid. Some of those things are going to do more harm than they are good. That, that's why in Timothy, Paul told Timothy, stay away from some of these genealogies and things. You know, you know what they do? Some of those questions and those questions, all they do is generate heat, friction, but they don't bring any light. And so sometimes we've got to keep our mouths shut if we're going to walk with God. Because you know what? It's so easy to grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you ever grieved Him with your words? I, I, I'm guilty. I have. I have. And usually it's when we get tired of having to go and apologize that we learn to think first before we speak. And that's what the Lord's trying to get us to do. And so, and so we have to be careful about that. The, the proverb says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. 
Uh, folks, when you get on the phone and you're talking with someone, maybe you had a legitimate business, you're talking with them about it. You know, when, when the business is over, you can be friendly, but get off of there. Because sometimes the longer you talk, the, the more, the, and what happens to conversations? They start off good and ne next thing you know, they're kind of going down. Well, what did you think about that? Or what did you think about what he said about this? And next thing you know, man, you're down here and you're, and you're delving in areas where we have no right to delve. We're making judgments where we have no, where we have no business. The Bible says a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. And so we need to be slow to speak and swift to hear and slow to wrath, right? Amen. Amen. That's what James told us. And so notice what it says, and to do your own business and to work with your own hands. You know, if we'll stay busy, we won't have time for all that talking. It's what, and particularly, and, you know, and ladies, I, I'm not going to say, well, ladies are the only ones that are busybodies. That's not so. Men can be the biggest busybodies. I've been around some like that. They can. All that water cooler stuff on the job, you know, and they're talking about this. Do you hear that or whatever? Hey, brethren, sometimes you just got to walk away. And they go, well, what's wrong with you? And say, hey, I just don't want to be a part of that conversation. Have enough courage to say, you know, hey, I don't want to talk about the boss. Or I I'm not going to talk about that person like that. You, you don't know everything that's going on in their life. You only got part of the story. Amen. It's called evil surmising. It's when we only got a little glimpse, but we think we know, like Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. But we really don't even have just the, the, the tip of the iceberg. And so we've got to be careful about that. You know, one of the things, one of the signs of the apostasy is that people that speak evil about dignities. Uh, you know, I get I get a lot of these things uh, on my phone. I, I get these messages from people that, you know, support sodomy and abortion and stuff like that. And, and uh, it, you know, one of them called himself a reverend. And I said, and I so I sent him a text back and I said, well, what kind of reverend supports sodomy and uh, and the and the, the murder and death of innocence? And I said, I, I, I guess not a Bible reverend, you know, I, you know, he never responded back to me. Amen. And, uh, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but I just want, you know, rather, and I just figure, well, if they're sending this to me, then they're not sending it to somebody else. And, uh, and so it doesn't really bother me. I just delete them and move on. But some things, brethren, we just don't have to rule on. We don't have to speak on every topic. And so, so we, need, we need to work on that. We don't have to, you know, tattlers and whispers, they don't really have very many real friends. Why is it? Because they know, man, if they tell them something, it's going to be everywhere in just a little bit. You know, and you've, have you ever played that telephone game? You know, you got four or five people sitting on chairs right here and you start over here with the story. Then they're supposed to tell that person. They tell that person. They tell that person. By the time it gets to the end, you know, you might have started off in a Volkswagen and next thing you know, it was a big yellow bus. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And that's how things get blown up. So we've got to learn how to control that tongue. That's part of walking in holiness. And God wants us to make progress in that area. It's a part of what we should do while we're waiting. Look at the second thing. Notice what verse 12 said. That not only should we walk in holiness, but we should walk 
honestly, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. Who are those? Are these without money? Are these without? No, these, when we say, when you read these that are without, these are folks that are outside the body of Christ. These are people who know not the Savior. These are people who need to be saved, who are in jeopardy. And they already have problems with believers. We were talking about some of that today with, with the evangelicals, that, that, that there's a, there's a, an increasing pressure that's put on evangelicals to fit in and so forth. I don't want to fit in. I, I want to be a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. And if we're going to be that, we might be a stink in somebody else's nostrils down here. Amen? But I'd rather walk with him and have his smile than, than all this down here. But at the same time, my goal is not to make everybody else angry by my behavior. So I'm to walk honestly towards those who don't know the Savior. Notice how he says that, walking honestly. Paul wrote about this at the end of the book of Colossians. Turn left in your Bible, just, just a couple pages over if you've got the same Bible as me. But I want you to look in chapter 4. Notice what it says. Look in verse 5. Uh, correction, verse 4. He said, well, verse 3, all right. With all, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which also I'm in bonds. He was in jail. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. How? Walking in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Verse 6, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, knowing when to speak, how to deal with these people, but my business dealings, my affairs need to be above board. They need to be honest. We need to have, we, we need to have a good, if you will, reputation amongst those who are outside the body of Christ. And so what I put down here, you know, your testimony is powerful, brethren, ladies. Your testimony is very powerful. And you should be able to give it in just a short uh, period of time. You should be able to give your testimony without having to go on and on and on. You should be able to give your testimony about what the Lord's done for you. Kind of like the demoniac of Gadara. He wanted to follow the Lord. And what did Jesus tell him? Man, I just want you to go home and tell your family and friends what God has done for you. And that's what he did. He went home and told them. And so, and so you and I, beloved, our testimony is powerful and therefore it needs protecting. So how do we do that? While we're waiting for the Lord to return, you know one of the things we ought to do? Pay our bills. Amen. Don't be a parasite on society. Be a productive citizen. You can be a good Christian and a good citizen. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. You know, I don't think it's my goal to make five or ten people mad every day. Uh, you know, in me talking to them about their soul or about their life or whatever, you know. Uh, we had a man once uh, uh, in a church where I was, and, you know, eventually, thank God, he left. It was the right thing. We basically had to ask him to leave. But, I mean, but he was going up to visitors and saying, you know, he said, man, you know, being a sinner, he said, you know, you're really no better than a child molester and blah. I mean, that's not the way that you approach people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the Bible ought to, you know, th this is one thing about preaching of the Word of God. It either draws people or it drives people. Amen. That's what truth does. And so, uh, and so, you know, that's not walking with humility and that's not walking with carefulness. 
as you're dealing with people who are outside the body of Christ. And uh, I think they need to have the truth, but there's a way to do it in such a way. The Lord Jesus had gracious words. That's according to Luke chapter 5. And they marveled at that, at the words that he spoke with. His words were gracious. And so our honesty is so important. The Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen over great riches. Your good name matters. Amen. And just like a boat in the water, when that boat's traveling, don't you leave a wake, brother? You do. And, uh, and so too it is in our lives. We're all leaving something behind. And you have to ask yourself every now and then, what am I leaving behind for others? Remember Paul wrote and said, some men's sins go before them and some men's sins follow after. They had a firefighter that died in Houston. Uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't a line of duty death. It was in kind of a love triangle thing. And, uh, and I'm not trying to speak ill, but it turned out that, you know, he was, sometimes he was like a man and sometimes he was like a woman and all that kind of stuff. And none of that came out while he was an active firefighter, but that came out afterwards. Beloved, your testimony matters and we need to protect it. And so uh, there's no substitute for integrity. Pay your bills, keep your word, Amen. Hey, if you can't keep it, then don't give it. Don't make promises. Man, I learned that right off. It wasn't long having children that I learned that, man, you know, because you know what? They have great memories, don't they? <laughs> they can remind you about stuff. Did we do that? Gee, dear, I'm sorry. She's like 46 years old. Did we do that? Uh, yeah, you did. Well, gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I don't remember that, but we did. Evidently, she remembered it. They remember stuff. And so do people sometimes, particularly when you and I have made a promise. Man, we need to keep our word. Keep our word. And if you're not able to do that, then don't give it. The, Paul wrote in Romans, said, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Why? Peter said they're going to speak evil about us as, as evildoers, but they are supposed to be able to see our good works. That in the day of visitation, that in other words, they would regret that. They would see that there was a reason why we lived the way that we lived. The choices that we made. And the way that we dealt with other people. And so you and I, I mean, man, we've been the recipients of grace and mercy. Then we ought to be able to, we can afford then to distribute some of that amongst the people that don't know the Lord. If he had plenty enough to go around for us to be saved, don't you think we ought to have plenty enough as we're dealing with other people? Amen. We ought to. It ought to be a ready supply. Ask the Lord to help you with that. God, help me to be more mindful of, of maybe of my testimony of how, because a lot of times, you know, we, sometimes we just have the wrong perception about, even about how we are received. Have you ever been wrong about somebody else? Your perception of them, has it ever been wrong? Sure, of course. Of course it has. Well, then I think the same thing is possibly true about even the way we think that other people perceive us. Like, well, gosh, you know, I'm a nice guy. That may not be what other people what other people perceive. That's just where we live up here in this world, you know? And this this world is not always accurate. And so uh, you say, well, Brother Ed, you just don't know how much grace it takes to get along with Brother So-and-so. Well, you know, did you ever think about how much grace it takes to get along with us? We just don't realize how much other people are using up to be around us. But you have to consider that. All right? Let me give you the last thing. Look at the last thing with me. 
Not only are we to not only are we to walk with holiness, that being a goal that we have in mind, and we're to walk with honesty. But look in verse 13, same chapter, chapter 4. But notice what he said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And you know what, beloved? We ought to be a hopeful people. We ought to live in such a way we ought to walk with hope. If there's anybody that ought to have hope, it ought to be God's people. Now, the hope of the Bible is not the same as the hope of the world. I looked up a definition, you know, and uh, and the bottom line is the hope of the world means maybe. <laughs> well, I hope I hope this works out. Well, it might work out. Maybe it'll work out. That's not the hope of the Bible. The hope of the Bible is a confidence. It is a certainty, if you will, an assurance based upon the word of God. And so, and really, and based upon the one that made the promise. And who's the one that made the promise? That's the Lord Jesus himself. God has made the promises. All the promises of God in him are yea and amen. I mean, there's no maybe in there. I found this on the web. Really? That's nice. <laughs> I didn't ask you, honey. Be still, all right? <laughs> Technology does have its drawbacks, Brother Larry. <laughs> the hope of the world means maybe. The hope of the world has no certainty in it and therefore no assurance. That's why they have to have it all right now. That, 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 that's why this world, it, it's never enough. I've got to have more. You know, years ago, they, there, there used to be a beer commercial. I, I'm dating myself here, but it, it was go for the gusto. Go for the gusto. You've got to have it all. You've got to have, man, you know what? This is not all there is. Thank God. Paul said, if we only have hope in this life, we're going to be of all men most miserable. And I'm counting on the one to come. Uh, you know, th this is not all there is. There's so much more. There's so much more. And the hope that we have, the hope that's expressed in the Bible is completely different. That's why when you go to a funeral sometimes, I've been to funerals, man, where they pass out at the coffin. They do the bigger the show. All that is, a lot of that is just guilt because they didn't, they didn't give the roses, if you will. They didn't give the compliments while the person was alive. And now they have such tremendous guilt. But you know what? For the child of God, when, I, when it comes my time or whatever, and, and if you attend that or whatever, man, just know this. I, that's not me. Man, I, that's not where I'm at. I'm not in that coffin, man. I'm going to be up there. Going to be with him. I'm going to be, you know, for the first time, I'm really going to be alive in that day. And we're not to sorrow as others which have no hope. Why? Because I know I'm going to see him again. My mother was a, sa was a saved woman, and I know I'm going to see her again. My mother-in-law is a saved woman. I know I'm going to see her again. Man, we got a lot. We have a lot of reasons to rejoice when we think about going there. Those that have gone on before us, and we ought to have that hope settled and nailed down. Because why? Because the Bible tells us so. Because God is the one who made the promise. Amen. Peter said this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man. 
that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. They ought to be able to say, well, Brother Ed, why doesn't that bother you? Aren't you worried about, aren't you worried about what the president's going to do? Aren't you worried, if, you know, if he's not the president, then the next person in line is going to be, aren't you worried? About, listen, God's not wringing his hands in heaven over these things. <clears throat> and neither am I. Leaders come and go. But the word of God, it never changes. Amen. And the one who gave that word never changes. And I have confidence in him. We get the kind of government we deserve. It's sad to say that we deserve what we're getting. I hate it. If judgment's going to begin, where's it going to begin? It's going to begin at the house of God, right? That falls upon us. And so, beloved man, I, 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 you know, I'm not worried because I, like the songwriter said, man, I know who holds tomorrow. Amen. I know who holds tomorrow. And so that's why uh, these things are, are not going to bother me and I don't have to get all bent out of shape and all those things. Yeah, I might be disappointed. Maybe nobody votes or whatever does it. But all that's immaterial in the grand scheme of things. The Lord knows what's best. He knows what's best. Beloved, while we're waiting, we have a, we have a job to do. Amen. This is a part of being filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom. There's some other things we're going to look at that are a part of the will of God for, for me and you while we're waiting for the Lord to return. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these dear saints, Lord, and how patient they've been tonight as they listen. And I thank you, Father, for the truth of the Bible. Thank you, God, that we don't have to, uh, Lord, to run on our own opinion, God, or our own thoughts or like those in the day of the judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. God, we have an authority. We find it in the word of God, and I thank you for it. Lord, what peace and assurance and hope it does give us. Only help us, Father, to run our race. Help us, Lord, to walk in such a way that it pleases you, that we walk toward that goal of holiness and honesty and hope. Help us, Father, in this, that we might be a light, Lord, in a dark place, Make a difference in this city, in this county. Lord, maybe even amongst ourselves, Lord, to be that light and witness that we should be. We love you tonight. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen.